Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. There can be no true gospel without also accepting and believing in the resurrection. They're both intimately tied together. There's absolutely no capability of separating the two and either of them being of any value. The resurrection is only available due to the good news of the gospel, and the gospel is only complete with the reality of the resurrection. The gospel is incomplete without belief in Jesus' resurrection. You can't have one without the other. And today, Pastor David teaches about the beliefs of believing in the resurrection. The resurrection demonstrates the power of God to overcome the evils and destruction of this life. This supernatural power of God seen in Jesus can also change our natural circumstances, for His death covers our sin and we are transformed by His resurrection power. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Benefits of the Resurrection. Some of you know that uh, we've been gone off and on uh, over this last year on several different trips. One of the trips we went to was with Samaritan's Purse back in Louisiana. Well, while I was back in Louisiana, I, I heard about Beauregard and Gustav. Now, Beauregard and Gustav, they've been neighbors down in St. Bernard Parish for, for about 23 or 22 years. They didn't always talk to each other because basically Beauregard knew that Gustav was a little slow on the uptake and, well, he just didn't have the patience to deal with the man. But one day, one day, Beauregard, as he was walking down the road, he saw Gustav out in his field looking mighty sad. He yells out, hey, Gus. He calls him Gus because that's what he'd been calling him all of these years. He says, hey, Gus, what's the matter with you? You look like somebody done stole your dog. Oh, my friend Bo. He calls him Bo because that's what he'd been calling him all these years. It ain't all that bad. It's just that I've been trying to raise some chickens and I ain't had no luck at all. Well, what do you mean you've been trying to raise some chickens? What y'all been doing? Well, Gustav says, about eight weeks ago, I came out here in the field and I planted four dozen good fresh eggs and I ain't seen one little bitty come up yet. Well, Beauregard just shook his head. He says, I feel sorry for you, my friend. I really do. And he turned to walk away, but then he stopped. He shouted back to his neighbor. He says, Gus, I was thinking, maybe them eggs weren't quite as good and fresh as you thought they was. If you haven't caught on yet, both Gus and Bo had a problem. 
I had a little bit of problem of how things, how things work. Now, I know it's going to be a little bit of a stretch, but I use this story by way of introduction as we come to this portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn there if you would. We've been in 1 Corinthians. We're about to wind it up. We're at the last portion of chapter 15. And uh, this evening, we're going to be dealing with really a very similar issue, some, some major understanding or misunderstanding uh, that, that Paul is dealing with, with the Corinthian church. And it's not only a problem with the Corinthian church, but this very same problem, actually, I've heard in people's lives even today in our culture, in our times. The Corinthian church had a real problem in understanding how this whole thing of resurrection can, can even begin to take place. How, how does this work? Earlier on in this chapter, in chapter 15, Paul had confronted the issue of those that, that were denying the reality of the resurrection. Not saying, I don't know how it can happen, but they were just flat out denying that the resurrection was even real. And he shared with them the, the, the extreme importance of the resurrection, how important it was to the Christian faith. Back in verse 16, he tells the church then, and again, it's for us to know today, that if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ isn't risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ, they they perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Now that whole section from verse 12 down to verse 24 speaks about the reality and the power and the blessings of the resurrection. And remember, as I stated when we looked at that, there can be no true gospel without also accepting and believing in the resurrection. They're both intimately tied together. There's absolutely no capability of separating the two and either of them being of any value. The resurrection is only available due to the good news of the gospel, and the gospel is only complete with the reality of the resurrection. It's not good news if there's no resurrection. And if the gospel's not there, then there's no value in the resurrection. Belief in the gospel, as I shared with you before, belief in the gospel is pretty much in vain. Not pretty much in vain, it is in vain. If you don't also believe in the resurrection. As a matter of fact, the gospel is absolutely useless without the resurrection. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home to that Corinthian church. Now, as Paul has, uh, has again, confirmed the, the, the reality of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, the blessings of the resurrection, he knows that there's still going to be some that, that, that are going to still remain confused. They're not going to understand exactly how this happened. Let's face it, gang. Somebody died, and you're telling me they're going to come back alive again? No, that's, that's impossible. That makes absolutely no human sense at all. No human sense at all. And so there's a lot that Paul is dealing with because of the culture, because of everything else. How many times have they seen a resurrection? Well, the great chance the people in Corinth had never seen it. So here we've got this issue that he's dealing with. And so now he's writing to them in this effort to kind of head off any of the questions that these doubters or these misinformed might have. Look with me, if you would, as we start in verse 35. He says here down in uh, chapter 15, verse 35, but someone will say, 
How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So he's using this example of like wheat or some other grain to help them to be able to understand. Paul reminds them of something that they they would have all understood. At that point in time, that culture, even in the busyness of Corinth, they were still pretty much basically an agrarian society. Farming was everywhere. And even if you weren't a farmer, you pretty well understood uh, how everything worked. For the most part, you would have understood, no, you don't bury eggs to get chickens, okay? Uh, you, you understand. You understand how this whole planting thing goes. So Paul reminds them how that that, that is planted isn't the same thing that you're going to go a few weeks or months later and sow. What you plant is not the same thing that you sow in that regard. The fact is very clear. It's, it's undisputable. You place a single grain of wheat or some other uh, grain in the ground, and then sometime later you are expecting that it's going to have a sprout come up. There's going to be leaves, perhaps a stalk on the top of that stalk. In the case of like wheat, it's going to have a little head. On that head is going to be a cluster of, of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little grain seeds or uh, grains there that you would take and, and use for wheat. You look at a kernel of corn. Again, very, very small in size. You, you place that kernel of corn in the ground. I know in, in our garden, uh, you can place hundreds and hundreds of kernels and you get one or two stalks of corn come up. But that's just my garden, okay? But, but the, the understanding is you plant that kernel of corn in the ground and after a while, there's gonna be stalks of corn come up and start growing. And remember, the corn grows as high as, what, an elephant's high. But uh, you expect that, you anticipate that. And on any one given corn plant, you might have uh, six, eight or so ears of corn. On each one of those ears of corn, you're gonna have hundreds of little kernels of corn. So from that one little kernel comes this abundance of corn. It's just kind of a mind-blowing thing when you stop and think of an apple seed. You've seen apple seeds, how small they are. I mean, they're little tiny things. Do you ever stop to think how many apples are in that one apple seed? Because from that one apple seed, a tree grows. And from that tree, hundreds and hundreds of apples. It's just the amazing way of God. But the thing we know is that seed has to die in order for that plant to really come up and do all that it's meant to do. I love oak trees. Tried to grow an oak tree here in Casa Grande. Just a fair warning, oak trees don't grow in Casa Grande, okay? But it still amazes me. Again, tall oaks from little acorns grow. And you see these little bitty acorns. We saw them all over in Louisiana. We saw them in Texas this last week. And I was going to bring a few to pass out to you. Imagine, again, the size of these huge oak trees. What God does with those things, the mystery of God. And I can see how some would be really concerned as they're thinking, how are the dead raised up? What kind of a body do they come up with? What would happen if your loved one was, was burnt at the stake? What happened if your loved one was, was beheaded? 
What happened if someone you know perished in some horrific accident? How, do, how does that work? What happens if you, when you pass away, you decide, hey, I want to be cremated rather than spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on a, on a coffin and, and, and a burial plot. I just want to be cremated. What, how's, how's God going to put all that together? You see, that's the kind of things that were going through the mind of the people in Corinth. And believe it or not, people think about that even today. Uh, well, I don't want to be cremated. That, you know, how, how does that all work? How does that come about? With what body will I come back to life with? What about those that have been maimed or, or lost limbs? What happens when they rise again, when they're resurrected? What about those that are killed in these massive explosions, the entire body just completely gone? Paul is here telling them that what dies is one thing, but that which rises again is something entirely different. At the time of the resurrection, God gives it a body as he pleases, Paul tells us, and to each seed its own body. Once again, this is part of the difference between resurrection and simply coming back to life again. We spoke about that a few weeks ago, the difference between resurrection and just simply rising from the dead, coming back to life. The Bible speaks of several that came back to life again. But you know what? If I died and you know, I was missing a limb or there was something you would come back, that, that limb would still be missing because you're simply coming back from the dead. It's not a resurrection. The resurrection is totally different than that. Again, as I've shared with you, the resurrection is a new body, completely different in makeup and yet similar in many aspects. In many aspects, not all aspects. And remember last time we looked through, we talked about all the times that Christ was seen after uh, the resurrection and how people didn't really recognize him offhand. There was something different. But there were similarities because eventually they would catch, oh, no, that's, that's Christ, that's Jesus. So again, that idea, new body, completely different in makeup, yet similar in some aspects. Paul goes on even deeper as he differentiates what God will bring forth in the resurrection from all other forms of life. Look what he says here in verse 39. Verse 39, he says, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh for men, another flesh for animals, another for or of fish, and another of birds. Now, if you write, underline, or highlight in your Bible, and I know for you that have the electronic version, it might be a little bit uh, difficult. Maybe you've got this little deal that you can highlight it. The word another, the word another, where it says there is maybe even one kind one kind of flesh for men, another flesh for animals, another flesh of fish, another of birds. Think, just underline that, highlight that. We'll look at that in just a moment. He goes on, verse 40. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory thing I want to draw your attention to here, and this is just kind of a little sidebar that we're going to take, is that Paul actually brings out a really wonderful argument against this whole idea of evolution. Personally, I don't feel that you can truly believe the Bible and believe in evolution. 
And I know that there's many Christians that say, well, I do believe in, in, in evolution of some sort. I, I have a hard time figuring that out and, and fitting it in with the word of God because there's so many areas within the Bible where the Bible argues against evolution either directly or by the deduction of the statements that are made, and this is one of them. When Paul, he's clearly making a difference between humanity and the animal kingdom, and even within the animal kingdom, he says, no, there is a flesh of birds, there is a flesh of fish, there's another flesh of animals, and that's all different than the flesh of men. It's different. God created us. God created us on purpose and for a purpose. He didn't just wait millions of years for us to finally come around out of the swamp, get some legs, grow, and, and, and become what we are today. I believe what the word says, that God created us as we are. Now, again, the differences are there. They're completely different in makeup, even though there's recognizably very similar in many aspects, okay? But it's simply because there was one designer and one creator that made them all. Just like a painter, many times you could look at the very assorted painting and say, oh, that painting was made by uh, Pollock. I know his, his style. Yeah, that's definitely a Pollock painting there. Uh, no, that one over there is a Picasso because it's totally different. You can almost tell. And in the same way, I believe in creation. There are similarities within creation, within the animal kingdom, within the human, and within humanity. But it's because we had one creator, not because we evolved one thing from another. Now, that's the end of the sidebar. Let's get back to this. Along with this, he also speaks about this idea of celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies. They're not all the same. They're different. The sun and the earth, they're, they're not the same. They're different. The moon and the stars, they're not the same. They're different. The same God created them all, and yet he designed them. He created them for entirely different purposes. Even modern science and technology today recognize that although there are similarities within the planets that revolve around our sun, there's vast differences also. They see the similarities, but there's also great differences that they see. Completely different in makeup, even though there are similarities in many aspects. Now, with that in mind, Paul continues on. Look at verse 42. In verse 42, he says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. Amen Amen is right. It is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised up in power. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. Now, I think it may depend upon your age, okay? But I've realized that the older I get, how much this old body is so corruptible, so dishonorable, It's filled with weaknesses, and it's simply destined to decay. We are decaying day after day, and some days a little bit quicker than other days. Can I hear an amen? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, we're just not meant to last forever. This carcass is not meant to last forever. There's going to be a day that we lay this carcass down, and then he's going to raise us up in a newness of life, in a new life, in a resurrected life. 
I'm looking forward to that day. But even as Paul tells us, he's going to tell us a little bit uh, down here in the chapter. He says this corruptible has to put on incorruption. This mortal has to put on immortality. It's, it's got to change. It has to change. Now, this whole natural body, this, this is going to be just placed in the grave or it's going to be cremated. It's going to be done away with. But God the Father has promised us a new spiritual body that's going to be raised on that last day. And it causes us again to remember what, what Paul tells us in Philippians, uh, how although for the present time, we are earthbound. There's, you know, we're, we're, we're stuck on this terrestrial piece of real estate here. We're stuck here right now. Uh, but yet in the spirit, we need to understand, as Paul tells the Philippians, in the spirit, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, man. I, I'm, I'm a foreign uh, presence here in this world. And I believe that the closer that we get to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more foreign we feel in this land because this land doesn't think the way that we think. It's not directed the way we believe that we need to be directed. It's just so different. Paul speaks to the Philippians. He says that, again, we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. How many of you have seen the Transformer movies? Come on, be bold, be brave, okay. Don't be embarrassed, okay. You've seen some. Well, I don't because I don't watch TV or movies because I'm a Christian. I don't know about, no, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What's the deal with the Transformer movies? They're a vehicle at one time, and then all of a sudden they're this you know, huge robotic uh, monstrous thing, or they're a robotic monstrous thing, and then they change to a vehicle. They're just becoming something you know, back and forth and back and forth. You know what? When God transforms us and gives us a new body, we're not going back again. We're not going back again. When, this car, when we're done with this carcass, it's done. It's over with. And he gives us that new and glorious body at that point in time. There is a natural body, but you know what? There will be for each one of us that spiritual body. We don't have to go through this natural body through all of eternity. We don't have to go through eternity with the weaknesses of our natural flesh. We will be raised in power. We don't have to go through eternity with all of our failures, with all of our iniquities, we're going to be raised with a spiritual body conformed to his glorious body. The fact is that spiritual body, don't, don't misunderstand me here when I say a spiritual body, it's not going to be like a, like a spirit. No, there's going to be a real body. When Jesus was raised from the dead, when he was resurrected, they saw him. He told Thomas, come and, and touch my wounds. Put your hand in my side. Those wounds were still there. But there was something different about Jesus. Jesus ate with them on several occasions. As a matter of fact, some have said that every time we see Jesus after the resurrection, he was eaten with them. So that's one of the reasons we as Christians eat all the time. Um, be that as it may. The fact is, is that body was new. It was different. Buddy.
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share with you how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We are thankful you've listened to today's message but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, we'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Here's Pastor David with more information. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship and fellowship and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning and on Wednesday and Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.